Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey folks, it's Matt Zachary, and welcome to Vax On, a weekly segment of my podcast, Out of Patience, right here on the Offscript Network. Hey, I'm Alura Nanos. I'm a lawyer, a journalist, a mom of a teenage narcoleptic, and a professional big mouth. Lou and I go back 30 years as best friends, and we're here to have fun and bring you a layperson's guide to what the hell just happened this week in healthcare as America gets its vax on and shows COVID the door. We're here together to learn, complain, and include you in the conversation. So join us on Twitter at VaxOnPod and share your stories and grievances using the hashtag VaxOn. All right, Matt, let's get at it. Hello, Allura. Hi, Matt. It's fabulous to see you. Thank you. It's fabulous to be seen. We missed you last week. I know. But here I am. Here you are. Here I am in 100,000 degree lower Manhattan. It is very hot today. Oh my God, it is hot as balls. I think it's welcoming though. It's been relatively annoyingly chilly. It has been. I, I went from being cold to being annoyingly hot. So yeah. Well, to, to all the aging millennials and Gen Xers who are listening, we all kind of missed the seasons. We used to have seasons. We did. They, it used to be like a gradual transition. Yes. And now it's just like blamo. It's like we just have binary seasons now. However, I have to say that. Quaternary? What's, what's, there's only four. There's no like transitions. There's no cues. No, there's no. No blends, no shades. No, no blends. It's just like quick, quick transitions from one to the next. You're done. But I, you know, here's what I appreciate. So my daughter is on a swim team and their swim practice starts today. And in some years it was freaking freezing cold in the, in the swimming pool in, at the end of May because, you know, it's not really summer yet. And the water would be cold and the kids would cry and they would turn blue and they would have teeth chattering. And it was kind of like a wah, wah way to start the swim season. Now it's 99 degrees outside. So she's going to be psyched to just jump right into the pool after school today. Is it a heated pool? It is not a heated pool. So the water might still be cold. Oh, the water will be cold, but it won't be as cold as it would have been if it was 60 degrees outside. This is a lesson I taught my kids when we moved to the, the beach area in Brooklyn is that the ocean doesn't get hot till it gets cold in the fall. Yeah. It takes yeah. that long yeah. for the ocean to be warm. When you put your jacket on in September, that's when the ocean feels that's the best. you go swimming in the ocean. So can I tell you what I did this weekend? Be- Please do. Yes, because I feel like when I do 1980s things, I should tell you. Okay, go ahead. So I saw the Top Gun sequel. Ooh. It was so fun. It's on my list. You No, you have to see it. I'm going to see you it. You have to see it. I'm going to tell you why you have to see it. So more things should be done like this, where they were 100% not trying to make any kind of a point they weren't trying to like raise the bar or anything no moral lesson nope they were like here this was a great movie we're gonna just do it again throw money at it and and it was great it was great like they they did it with better technology sure you know but they weren't like top gun one was fun so like this is the profound top gun no no 
It was just like, here's another one. Right. And it was so fun. And everyone left the theater so happy. Generally, people like my friends don't and I don't always agree on movies. Every single person left that theater. Everybody was just happy and smiling ear to ear. So was it like heart palpitation inducing fun? I mean, yeah, it was. It was really fun. I I, I audibly gasped at a couple of times. Really? Yeah, it was really fun. Like, and I don't generally care that much about the airplane stuff. Like, I, I really don't. Like, I, I'm watching it because Tom Cruise is fun. Right. Um, but the airplane stuff was even really fun. Like, it was really interesting. And I was like, oh, look at that. Like, those planes are kind of cool. And like, let's watch them fly around. And that seems cool. Trivia moment. How old is Tom Cruise? Like, according to the movie, he's 28. Right? He's 59. He, yeah. He's so Tom Cruise, by the way, who generally I think is a complete Looney Tune, is so lovable. In this movie, he's he must be a spectacular actor because when I see him in interviews, he kind of bugs me. But in the movie, he's just maverick. He's lovable. He looks wonderful. And he was so cool. Like, I just like I wanted to know him. And he does all his own stunts, which I think everyone I knows don't understand how that's possible. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't he's understand. He's a risk taker. He, he fell on the ground in this movie so many times. And every time he did it, I'm like, if I did that, I would be dying. And he's more than 20 years older than me. Right. He I is. was like, that hurts. That has to hurt. Um, but he was great. It was great. Everybody was great. It was so much fun. Everyone should go see it. All right. So this episode sponsored by Paramount Pictures. <laughs> would no, that not be really. nice? No, that would be so nice. <laughs> not but, really. But how are you? Did you have a nice week? I had a great week. I turned 48. Yeah. Speaking of being 20 years younger than Tom Cruise, I'm yes. 21 years younger than Tom Cruise. And how's 48 doing? You warming it up for me? I'm warming it up for you. Yeah. Coming soon. Okay. Is it good? To a census box near you. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Thank you. Did you have a good cake? Did you have any cake? We had cupcakes. All right, cupcakes work. Which is good enough. It's all cake is good cake. <laughs> I am a says Marie Antoinette. I am a universe. You know that that's that that's all bullshit, right? Right. Like that she never said it. No, she never said it. Marie Antoinette and the cake and Betsy Ross and the flag are like the two most horrendous pieces of propaganda ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and it's amazing. And it's hundreds of years later. Yep. And we're still talking about it, even though it didn't happen. You and your revisionist history. Uh, exactly. That's right. You you heard it revised here first, guys. All right, so what's news in COVID land? I hear it's kind of making a comeback and there are some kind of strange side effects of progress. Yeah, so remember a few episodes back, um, we were sort of chuckling about the name of the the COVID drug Paxlovid. Paxlovid. And we were like, wow, that sounds weird, but it's so good because it's helping people with COVID. And good news, good news, it's totally helping, right? I think the statistics say, let me, let, let me get out my trusty statistics here. Paxlovid cuts a vulnerable adult's chances of hospitalization or death from COVID by nearly 90% if it's taken in the first few days, which is great. It's like Zycam for COVID. It's amazing. I think it's better than Zycam. Way better than Zycam. It's like, um, what's the flu one? Not Theraflu. Why, why can't I remember it? Tamiflu. It's Tamiflu. like Tamiflu, right? Um, I mean, this is really great. I mean, that is amazing, amazing medical progress. But of course, it does come with a cost. <laughs> Side effects may include... Side effects include um, tasting like shit the whole time you're on the drug. What, like your taste buds revolt on you? I guess so. Here's what people said. Are you ready? Go ahead. I imagine this is what grapefruit juice mixed with soap would taste like. Oh, my God. Another person said, I heard that for some people it's a metallic taste, and I'm a little jealous because the way I'm describing it, it's like burnt, bitter grapefruit, but mixed with, you know what you try to do when you swallow Tylenol and it doesn't go down? Yeah, that failed Tylenol swallow mixed in oh with grapefruit. Oh, my God. That is so onomatopoetic. Yes, I was like, ill, burnt grapefruit and yucky throat Tylenol. Yeah, Ill. chewed tablet Tylenol. 
I, I feel like I could almost taste that just yeah, reading that. That's right? so bad. So, I mean. Yeah, like when you don't swallow your prescription medicine. Oh, my. It's the worst. It I, is. It's specifically bad with amoxicillin, by the way. I don't know why. Yeah. We, we've all taken amoxicillin, and the amoxicillin on my throat taste is the most disgusting thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, apparently this is pretty gross. I've never heard anyone describe medication as tasting Wait, so like grapefruit. Wait, so COVID makes you lose your taste yeah <laughs> isn't that weird slope. it's kind of funny right it's kind of like the the virus makes you lose your sense of taste but people are still tasting this awfulness in their mouth it's pretty terrible i mean i i guess the over under is it's good not to die I, funny you should say that because um what one person who was interviewed about it said well it's a hell of a lot better than being on a ventilator there you go. so yeah i mean of course this is none of this is to say that people shouldn't take it if it's been prescribed for them um, but I just thought that was kind of an interesting little update. Like nothing comes for free. <laughs> I mean, I'd be curious. Oh, it says here in Pfizer's clinical trials, 5.6% of patients reported an altered sense of taste called, I'm going to pronounce this word wrong, dysgeusia. That's that. the worst word ever, dysgeusia. It is. I actually, I underlined that word on, <laughs> because I was like, I have never heard that word before. Dis, is it dysgeusia? Dysgeusia? Dis- I'm calling Disgrosia. it Disgrosia. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best word of the show. And I I generally love words that um are about taste. Like I love gastronomic and gustatory and those kind of words. Umami? <laughs> sure, umami. You know, you know what that is? No. So here, the internet is going to solve your question. Yes. Umami is the core fifth state. Scientists identified umami taste receptors on the human tongue in 2002, along with sweet, sour, bitter and salty so it's the other one but what does it taste like i don't know it's an inherent taste usually enjoyed it's like a good taste that it's okay and we've had it since 2002 yeah and no one told me i mean we probably had it since evolution (laughs) but welcome to umami 20 years later but who even why did they name it umami the other words are like sweet salt (laughs) who named paxlovid it's the same thing (laughs) oh the ad wizards I don't understand. But anyway, yeah, so these people said, like, Paxlovid, it doesn't quite taste like food, not quite poisonous, but it reminded me of acid reflux, which, by the way, was my COVID symptoms, so I'm very confused by all this. But better than a ventilator. Yeah, it's better than all of it, honestly. Yeah. It's better than even having a really terrible case of COVID. You know, I I tried to get Paxlovid. I asked my doctor if I should get it, and she was like, it's not really right for your case of COVID. You're not suffering enough. That's what she said, basically. But, I mean... If I were older or had other health conditions, I would have been very happy to get a prescription for it, even with the grapefruit taste. I mean, I like grapefruit, not so much burnt grapefruit. Burnt grapefruit and chewed Tylenol tablet. Disgusting. But anyway, that's what it tastes like. So consider yourselves informed now that we have brought this to you. <laughs> I, I wonder if they're trying to, to channel pavlova, which is pavlova is a wonderful Australian dessert that we make sometimes. Is home. it really? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. You, you make a meringue, you put fresh fruit on top, and whipped cream, it's amazing. It's like a sculpture and a dessert at once. Wait, so I learned about that today, and you learned about umami today. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. What's next? So listen, you know, we have this podcast, and Vaxon is here to bring you health-related news as we all recover from COVID. And I think that we should use our time to talk about some really important stuff. So to that end. Oh, finally, real important stuff? <laughs> it's about damn time. So to that end, um, I saw this story about young caregivers, and it really, really touched me, um, especially because (laughs) Matt, (laughs) 
I'm being serious. <laughs> okay. I'm being serious. Go ahead. And, yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting. I think the reason this was on my mind is because when my husband and I had COVID, my, my whole family had COVID and my daughter was the, who is 12. My daughter who is 12 was the the healthiest of us during the time that we were sick. And, um, and, and I needed her at times to like bring me, you know, a glass of water or something. And I hated asking her to do it because, you know, she's my kid. And it just was like a weird, it's a weird feeling to have your kids take care of you in any way when you're sick. And, um, and and I read this article and it just it I don't know it really spoke to me. There are 10 million children in the United States that are providing some form of care at home to parents and grandparents. Wait, does that count as like taking out the garbage? No, I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> let's just put the rules down here. Yeah, we're talking about like actual medical caregiving, not chores. Not chores. That's not caregiving. <laughs> it's caregiving for me. It's it's caregiving. It's, it's stressing me. Yeah. No. This is like real deal caregiving. Right. Um. You know, like like you know, visiting nurses are only in homes for so many hours a day, and there are a lot of kids who have parents and other uh, adults in their house that are cancer patients or military veterans or they have heart disease or they're autistic um, or, you know, they have COVID. So they're feeding them, they're clothing them, they're yeah. helping them bathe, they're yeah. putting them to bed. Yes. Yeah. And it's um, it's a really serious thing. I mean, 10 million children. And I feel like this is a topic I have rarely, if ever, heard anyone talk about children caring for their parents. So has there been a, like a huge spike since COVID because there are so many elderly people Dealing with it? Um, I mean, I don't know that I have statistics about how big of a spike, but I think we can all see that. Yeah, there. I mean, there's more people that are sick. But the whole idea of caregiving grew worse during the pandemic because sure. not only did you have people becoming ill with COVID, but you had a situation where the children who are doing the caregiving, who maybe themselves are healthy, are not being able to connect with other people as much as they did because of fear of COVID. So you can imagine a 10-year-old who is caring for an ailing relative now is not going to go out and risk contracting COVID because they might especially bring it home to their weakened loved one. And I mean, and it's just exacerbating an already bad problem. I'd be curious to find out, this is probably an unanswerable question, but children who are taking care of their parents or their grandparents would likely want to be vaccinated. Oh, I would imagine that they would. But they could potentially be falling under a family culture where they don't want them to be vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, you never know, right? Because whether there's an ailing relative at home or not, you know, that illness affects lots of people, right? So you might get a family where they don't trust science or they don't believe in vaccines or whatever it may be, and putting the child at extra risk, putting themselves at extra risk. Well, I'm saying that because this might be a situation where the children want to be vaccinated sure but because they're minors right they can't do it with their without parental consent right and in those situations parental consent for anything is very difficult um th this particular article i saw it was um it was about this researcher for the university of wisconsin that um that put on a program like an educational program specifically for children who are caring for parents that have als and um and and this researcher said, you know, these children exist in the shadows, uh, which is really true. They have no avenue to even discuss the burden that they're carrying. If you think about, um, especially during the pandemic, when we're sort of all de dealing with health concerns, no one is specifically saying to these kids who might be elementary school age, um, you know, hey, let's talk about what it was like to help bathe your dad or help, 
you know, get your your mom into the shower or or make a meal for your parents. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, kids kind of just take it as it comes, right? Like if that's what they're doing and that's their life, um, they might not even realize that it's so unusual that they might need to talk to somebody about it. And, um, you know, I bring it up because I just, it was such a, it's such a big topic and caregivers generally get, you know, almost n- no attention. No love. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've we talked about that here at Vaxon and, and um, at Offscript, we're, we're doing lots of stuff to uh, highlight the the plight of the caregiver. Um, but I just think this is so important. You know, children as caregivers need all of the love and support and help and outlets that, you know, that we can possibly give them. So especially during this time that we're all, you know, dealing with the pandemic. Yeah. And that just piles on all the mental health challenges we keep talking about here on the show and in the news that have decimated adolescents and young adults for, for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a tough thing. And I feel like in the face of this global pandemic, it, it is so easy to to say, well, we're, we're all in this together and, and we are all in it together. But it, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we're not all shouldering the same burden because if you are a 10-year-old and you're handling daily you hear that, care- 10-year-old <laughs> listeners? To all the 10-year-old <laughs> listeners of this show, we're talking to you. But I mean, imagine, you know, my burden is not the same as a as a kid, a teenager who is helping give daily care to parents even before the pandemic. Um, so it, I think it's important that as we're we're going with that messaging of we're all in this together, that it's equally important to say, yeah, we are, but we all bring different burdens to it and we should really be looking for who might need some extra support right now. All right, let's take a quick break. All right. And we will be right back. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We are back. And what do you got? So I want to talk about something. Oh, finally? Yes. 
It's about damn time. Can we talk about Gen Z? What's the years for Gen Z? We, we, we're so confused by when does Gen Z start? So I think Gen Z starts around 2000. Right, to the internet. Hang on a second. All right, back to the Google, which explains that Gen Z are anyone born between 1997 and 2012. That's a fairly large range there. But, but I think it's always like that. It's always like 20 years. So between 9 and 24. P- kids who are between 9 and 24. Anyone between 9 and 24 years old is, is Gen Z. I don't, that seems vastly different to Gen X, which is like anyone from like 40 to 55. It's like 15 years, right? I feel more similar to a 55-year-old. Then I suppose a nine-year-old might feel to a 24-year-old because society is different. True, but you never know because if you talk to that nine-year-old 20 years from now, they might feel similar to somebody who's currently 24. It might might be a function of just getting older. This is fascinating. I, I don't, don't know. know how I didn't realize this until today. So, so, I, so I read this article. Um, it was like an opinion piece about the future of the U.S. workforce. And it was all about how Gen Z is approaching being part of the workforce differently than generations before. They probably want health care. That's why. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. You know, the article suggested that especially because of the pandemic, Gen Z is like basically not putting up with any bullshit. So like if the work-life balance sucks, they're leaving or they're like getting other jobs that they like better and they don't want to work for companies that they don't believe in the company's mission. And they're just like basically not putting up with shittiness anywhere in their work life. So they won't tolerate Dilbert. <laughs> they will not take it anymore. Um, but I mean, and and the the evidence for this is that, you know, Gen Zers are leaving jobs and getting different jobs. Now, of course, I mean, it's important to point out Young people always change jobs a lot. It doesn't matter that it's this generation. When when we were the new workers, we changed jobs a lot. When the millennials were the new workers, they changed jobs a lot. That's sort of a function of being new to the workforce. So that's not specifically a Gen Z thing. But I wonder, you know, I do think that Gen Z is a unique generation in – I mean, every generation is unique in its, in its own way, right? So I wonder if – what do you think? Do you think that we're going to see – as Gen Z becomes, you know, all grownups, do you think that they're going to work differently than past generations did? Do you think they're going to bring those values into the workplace in a way that's going to create meaningful change? I mean, I just realized that my kids and your daughter are Gen Z. And my son. Well, I mean, I knew him. He's already like 18. So I, I, that, in my head, that makes sense. Yeah. Like yeah. we have, I have 12 year olds. Oh. <laughs> yeah, how are they Gen Z? How do my kids fit into the same generation as college students today? Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it, when you realize that? But they are part of the same generation. Right. And I'm seeing, you know, my son, he has a job. He's about to head off to college. And he has, like, no time for working for anyone that doesn't respect his needs on a personal level or that's respecting the world's needs on a global level. Like, he's so idealistic about a lot of things. And in in what I think is a really healthy and good way, you know, he knows he'll have to work hard, but he also has expectations of his employer in a way that I don't think I did when I started to work. I mean, part of me is like the tough, tough love, right? Work sucks most of the time. You deal with it to pay the rent. You don't like it. You're going to be broke. Spoken by two people who work for themselves and yes. love every minute of but it. But part of the reason is I wanted to work for myself. I mean, I had a real job and I had a real boss and I had a real chain of command for 10 years. I know what it's like to work in the system and just be Dilbert. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. But I did it for the rent. Yeah, but you know, the the thing is, 
it is really progress for someone to say, I'm going to find a way to pay the rent. That doesn't require me getting trampled on every day. I understand that too, but I don't know. Our therapy in the 80s was hard knocks. Do it, get by, make the best life you can with what you can. I'm willing to concede that employers today have adapted somewhat to the culture of the next generation, like when Facebook made their office a campus to live on, right? They gave them all they wanted to never have to leave. There was a hospital there, right? the dorms, the hospitals, the pharmacies, everything was there. You never had to leave. And that way they made it like this cozy post-college culture mm -hmm. that invited them to stay, retention, morale. Yeah. Are we going to see that getting even deeper as the next generation gets employed by Silicon Valley? And are those companies going to set the stage in a post-pandemic way of remote work, remote benefits, time off, maternity, paternity? I mean, I hope they do. And, and honestly, I think that post-COVID is a really important point. You know, we saw really quickly the entire world pretty much adapt to remote work. Even companies that said that they never would have remote work. And then everybody just kind of figured it out. And I feel like if there's any one thing that I hope Gen Z brings into the picture is that everything can be managed overnight if necessary. Um, that sense of kind of fluidity when it comes to work expectations um, and work methods, you know, like you know, people are working harder than ever, even though they're working remotely. And I think that, um, you know, I, I know that my own children saw uh, – an increase in productivity when it came to going to school online even. You know, my son was being forced to get up to go to school at the ass crack of dawn. And when COVID came, he didn't have to get up so early. He was 10 times more productive because he was working on a schedule that worked better for him. Um, and now he's going to go into the workforce and bring that value with him. Like, hey, I should think about whether I have a flexible schedule because for me, it makes a difference in my own personal productivity. That's a kind of thinking that I don't, I, I certainly did not have. Um, I don't know that millennials had it as much, but I think Gen Z is like, no, no, I'm going to look at this and see what works. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think that it, I think it's a good thing. I mean, similar to a generation that was dependent on going to the office endlessly, endlessly. in the 80s and 90s because yeah. there was no Internet to do anything. If you're sick, you're home. You can't do anything. Right. To a society that is embracing work from home. This idea of work life balance is totally going to change. Anthropologically, if our children and Gen Z are going to grow up in a world where remote is the first option, they're going to go from bed to office to bed. They're not going to have a sense of interacting with real people in the real world and understand what we come to understand as work-life balance. I mean, I don't know if that's true because I think that it depends on what you do with your time. And I think, you know, just because you could work remotely doesn't mean you don't have other ways of seeing people. But I mean, you know, also, if you think about the sort of no bullshit factor, right? Like if you can just work remotely when you're not feeling well, let's say you have an office job where you go in some days and then when you can't go into the office, you can work remotely. Um, you know, the the messaging there is like, listen, you got to get your work done. If you're sick and you're home, you still got to get your work done. And, and you know, being home isn't really an excuse. It's like you still got to get everything done. In a way that wasn't there when we, it was like for us, you had to go to the office and then when you weren't in the office, you were like off the grid, right? And I sort of like the messaging of your work is your work and what's important is what you produce and not where you produce it or how you dressed when you produce so like, it. I don't give a fuck how you get your job done, get your job get done. Get your job done. And I think that 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 idea of what's important is getting your job done and getting it done well and how you do it is like sort of up to you. I, I think it adheres to both the school of hard knocks 
and the idealistic Gen Z ethos, right? Because it's like, you got to do it no matter what. That's what's important. But hey, if you want to do it in your pajamas at home, that's fine. I, I feel like it, it sort of pleases everybody. I mean, there are people I read these stories in like People Magazine and BuzzFeed where they're literally renting vans and driving around the country and have a full-time job. Yeah, I have friends that do that. I think it's amazing. They have no home. They the van no is home. their home. The van is their home. Yeah, they just park and do their job and find internet somewhere else and then get back on the road. That's like sort of the ultimate work-life balance, don't you think? It's like the Volkswagen Beetle hippie tour with a payroll check. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that, but I appreciate Because we're old. Because I'm old, <laughs> right. But, but if there's anything I value when it comes to my work life is control over my time. To me, that is the most important thing that I want control over my own time. And I think that Gen Z has gone into school and now is going into the workforce expecting control over their own time. And I think that's a really good thing. I mean, I hope they can go in and, you know, shake shit up a bit. I mean, to the extent, again, I, I don't know why I'm perseverating on this idea of understanding and appreciating that your home is your home and you work from home and it's a different mental culture to work from home, get lunch in your kitchen, crash in your bed. You can still get your job done. But are we losing a sense of humanity in not interacting with people in real life? And I'm seeing this now. We just had our retreat Last week is the first time in the history of this company that 20, 30, 40 people who work here have never met each other before. I mean, present company included, got to see each other in real life. And there was such a chemistry you're not going to get working remotely. Well, that's certainly true. But I think that, um, I mean, at least most people I know, they're not working remotely and never seeing somebody. You know, they're doing some of their work remotely. And then, you know, when they have time, they go into the office or they see people um, in person in some way. So, I mean, I think that it's like everything, like like they said in, you know, like in Shangri-La, right? It's all about balance and it's all about moderation. So, I mean, personally, I think that the the answer is work from home sometimes, work in person sometimes. But I think either way, you know, I think there's, there's benefits and burdens to no matter how you do work, right? I think we're going to see the end result of this anthropologic shift in five to 10 years. And I'm curious to see when, whatever Gen A, whatever the next What's generation is. What's the next is, one? Who's in charge of I that? I think Gen A is the next generation. Is that right? Anyone under apparently nine, birth to nine. So, you know, for a while they were, before Gen Z became Gen Z, it had a different name. I don't know if you knew about this. What is it? It was. It had been called Homelanders. What? Yeah, it was like kids born right after 9-11. Oh. They were calling them Homelanders, which sounded sort of cool and grim at the same time. So like but it didn't take. Post Y2K children. Yes, but it didn't seem to take. Um, so now they went back to the letters and um, although millennials, like they were Gen Y for like two seconds and then they were like, fuck that, they're millennials. Let me end with a relevant story that's not relevant, but I think it's relevant. Tell me. We just mentioned Y2K. My daughter was watching a YouTube video about what's going to happen in 10,000 years to humanity. Speaking of work-life <laughs> balance, apparently. And she found out that there's going to be something called Y10K when 9,999 goes to 10,000 the computers will not be able to deal with it. Did you tell her we already did this and it was fine? Yeah. It was like totally MBD. It's like, Dad, it is Y10K. I'm like, that's in like 9,000 years. We're like, don't worry, we'll all be dead. It's <laughs> right, that's fine. That's like sort of a grim way to... Do you remember the the really palpable freak outness over oh, it Y2K? It was terrible. Yeah. We were all, our bank accounts were all going to be zeroed out, right? We're, we were all dying. We were all dying. And we then, were partying like it was 1998. 
And then literally nothing <laughs> happened. Nothing. No. I, I, in a weird way, they I kind of fixed it, though. They really did fix it. Yeah. They were like, never mind. You know mind. why? Monetary incentive. True. True. Trillions of dollars would have vaporized yeah. in the global economy True. if they didn't fix it. And they just figured that shit out. Yeah. That's the lesson. Is that the lesson of the day? We That's just, the lesson. Is Gen Z going to figure it out? I hope Gen Z solves problems I love that Gen, Gen X can't, or I hope Gen X fixes boomer shit to set Gen Z up for success. I feel like I'm And we're all skipping about, millennials on purpose. I'm no, sorry. No, I love millennials. I love Gen Z, but I'm, I feel like I, Gen Z, they are the snap into action generation. So okay. like there's a problem. They fucking find a way to just deal with it. And, um, and I love that about that generation. And, and it's because they know they have to. Right. right? And um, yeah. And I, I feel like we're going to see great things from them. And I think we're all going to benefit from it. That's my my little optimistic Gen Z loving self. Okay. To the six Gen Zers that listen to the show. Listen. but And to all their parents. Yes. Who listen to the show. Who listen to the show. And that would be us. And don't, like, don't shit on Gen Z. Like, they're a great generation. And we should set them up for success and, and stop making it as hard for them as it might have been for us. Here, here. Soapbox. <laughs> Here you go. We do it for you. <laughs> you crazy kids. <laughs> All right. On that note. On that note. We'd like to thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Vax On. Elora, love to see you. See you next week. Say, Matt. See you next week. Bye. That's all for now. If you like Vaxon, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your shit show of a healthcare story by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Vaxon is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seely. Our hosts are Matthew Zachary and Alora Nanos. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seely. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.